how can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast. Sort of. Featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is... I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Happy New Year. Welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball 2021 edition. I'm Derek Johnson with Dusty Baker. This is round episode number 10 for us. Dusty, uh, did you enjoy New Year's responsibly? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it at work. So <laughs> there's really no better place to uh, to enjoy it than being at the, uh, the TV teleprompter and everything else. But no, I mean, I, I got to enjoy it with some friends. Uh, actually, Derek and I, you know, we take advantage of Zoom for this podcast. We also did it with uh, several of our friends for the new year. So um, yeah, I, I think uh, it was pretty fun to be able to just uh, enjoy the time after those work hours uh, through Zoom, a very safe and responsible way of doing such. But uh, now it's the new year and every new year, uh, that means it's a, a new birthday. And so Derek's birthday, actually, at the time of this recording, is coming up. His birthday is January the 5th. And a, a quick comment on this, because Derek continues every single year to screw me over with this one. Um, I, for the longest time, thought his birthday was January the 6th. And I always said and texted him, happy birthday on the 6th. And he would never say anything. He would never say, no, dude, my birthday is January 5th. He would just say, oh, thanks. And that's it. It was just, oh, thanks. And, and then today, he decides to tell me that his birthday is actually today, January the 4th of this recording, when I knew perfectly well that it was the 5th. So thanks a lot, Derek, for making me less happy at your birthday. But happy birthday, buddy. I'll make you forget what it is by next year. You can, you can count on that. By the way, what are you drinking today for my, uh, my birthday episode? Yeah, so we, uh, we kind of came up with this idea that uh, eventually we need to start teaching you guys at home how to make some of these drinks. And so this is the first week of what I call January. Um, this entire month, I'm just going to be making drinks based off of gin. And so it all starts with an azalea. And so in an azalea, you have, first of all, the most important component, which is gin. And on top of that, it's not too difficult outside of that. You have a little bit of grenadine, some pineapple juice, and a little bit of lemon juice as well. You mix it all together. You get it in your shaker, which I just got the shaker. You can hear, hear the ice going here. Let's hope this is a good pour. I haven't tried it yet. So I really doubt how good this drink's going to be. To be honest, I saw this on TikTok. Uh, I decided that maybe this was the best route. Shout out to Johnny Drinks, getting that perfect pour in right there. It looks actually nice. 
so I, I don't mean right. to I don't, okay. I don't mean to stomp on your parade here or anything, but I don't know that this is gonna do a lot for you. You had the the white peach sangria, the one show. You had the uh, whatever seltzer, the other show. I appreciate the the effort to go through with the cocktail, and you put a lot of work into it. So I do appreciate that, but I don't think this is gonna shake the opinion of what you're gonna be what you have been drinking to this point. How is it? That's okay. It tastes good. So people okay. at home, they can, they can sit, they can laugh, whatever, but I'm going to enjoy my Azalea. What are you adding? A perfect drink for you, an Azalea. Uh, I am drinking a beer. I'm going to do one more beer one before I switch over to the uh, crafted cocktails. It's called Sixth Glass. It is a Boulevard Ale. Boulevard is a Kansas City brewing company. It's a delicious beer. It's got kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like a peachy overtone to it. And here's the kicker on this thing. I'm going to crack it right now. Guess the percentage of this beer. 6.8. Higher. 7.8. Higher. 8.8. Higher. 9.8. Higher. <laughs> okay, what is it? It is a 10.2%. Wow. Um, Boulevard's really good. Uh, if you ever yep. get the chance to go to Kansas, go get Boulevard. It is mm -hmm. really, really good. All right, so uh, first up in our AL Central discussion and recap, we'll have the Minnesota Twins. Uh, 36 and 24 a season ago, they won the division, then lost to the, the below 500 Astros in the wild card round. Uh, starting off with the party. Hey, it's my birthday, so we'll call this the birthday party. Uh, <laughs> great regular season for this Twins team. It matched the third most home runs in the AL. You might just scroll through some of the numbers. You see Josh Donaldson, he hit 222, but he still had an OPS nearing 850. Uh, OPS plus, which was 131, that was their best starter. Unfortunately, though, you had him and Byron Buxton, who both had solid years. Neither of them played 40 games. Uh, and then, I mean, how about Nelson Cruz, the ageless wonder, hit over 300. Uh, OPS approaching territories of my beer alcohol content. He had an OPS <laughs> just shy of a thousand. Fantastic year from him. And then on the pitching front, uh, they wind up third in the AL in ERA. They were really good at avoiding home runs. They were really good at just avoiding hits in general. You had an AL Cy Young candidate in Kenta Maeda. Uh, Jake Odorizzi was kind of the one guy who struggled. He had that breakout year last year, and then this past season kind of struggled so we'll see how he does this next year if he can be an, uh, another bounce back guy uh, but every other starter besides Odorizzi for the twins had an ERA at 4.05 or better obviously headlined by Kenta Maeda and then the bullpen guys did that too you had eight different bullpen pitchers with a 4.05 ERA or better not that that is a great mark for bullpen guys but to have that many provides depth and they did have some really good years at the top Tyler Duffy was kind of the leader in that uh, regard, just kind of a dominant season from him out of the pen. Defense, I think, helped the pitching a little bit. They were fifth in the majors and defensive run saved. All in all, a lot went together for this team to have a really good season, and you win the division. Right, and it was a great year for the Twins in the regular season, but unfortunately, uh, you take a look at the hangover, and uh, a major trend continued for the Twins. First of all, outside of home runs, they didn't hit particularly well or steal any bases. They actually ranked 18th in the MLB in runs scored, which is rather shocking to me because a lot of people considered them to have one of the better offenses in the league. Uh, but a big part of those reversions, of course, when you look at 
the Twins of 2019. Uh, they had some big years out of guys like Mitch Garver, who hit 31 home runs, and instead he goes in 2020 and hits 511 OPS. Uh, that, that's not what you're looking for. Is 995 OPS is what he had in 20, 2019. Uh, Max Kepler dropped off nearly 100 points in OPS. You have Miguel Husano who dropped off 150 points in OPS, and then Jorge Polanco. Dropped off almost 200 points in OPS. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned, that trends. The trend of the playoffs just simply not being able to execute. Uh, they faced the Houston Astros. They lost to the Astros team that was under 500 in the regular season. But yet the J- Twins couldn't even pull out a single game against Houston. Um, and that is 18 straight postseason games in which the Twins have lost. And on the previous shows, when we were talking with David Lesky, we even mentioned – what are the odds that the Kansas City Royals or the Detroit Tigers, they get a win in the playoffs uh, before the Twins do? And it actually feels more likely that one of those two teams gets it because the Twins just have this terrible history of not being able to succeed in any playoff game that they play in. Uh, they generally run into the Yankees, but this time the Astros still didn't do anything there for them. I feel bad. I mean, I've, I've been a fan of the Chiefs and we won the Super Bowl this last year, but uh, there was a stretch from, I think, 1994 to like 2016 or 2017 or something where they hadn't won a playoff game and they would just choke all these games. And it's it's an incredible streak and with 18 straight losses in the postseason for this Twins team. I, I kind of feel their pain there. So I hope they can get that together as far as what they are missing for that postseason run. I don't know. Maybe you just go out and like spend extra money on guys that have proven track records in the postseason, even if. They haven't been great regular season players because I think you kind of have enough here that you expect this team to contend for the division at the very least a wild card spot. Go out and get somebody who's hit well in the postseason. And I guess one guy that that kind of makes sense to me, uh, still out there, Marcel Ozuna. I mean, you might lose Nelson Cruz. Ozuna can DH. Um, and Ozuna has hit really well in the postseason. He's He's been a clutch postseason hitter. So – that checks that box off. And also, the Twins kind of struggled against lefties last year. They had a 658 OPS against lefties. Marcelo Zuna for his career, 866 OPS against lefties. So, to me, that one kind of uh, comes together. And, and I don't really know what to totally think of this team because you, I, I like the manager. I like a lot of their players. They're also losing uh, kind of a good amount as well, though. So, I, I think they could be in danger that if they don't make a couple good moves here, Maybe they do fall back enough to miss the playoffs, but if they do make a few right moves, maybe they're back in the same situation where they can actually win a playoff game this year. Yeah, I, I think that they are definitely kind of going in the downward trajectory of where they want to go. Uh, it's unfortunate. The The move that didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me was non-tendering Eddie Rosario. Um, he's still a pretty quality hitter. I know his numbers were down a little bit as well, but we mentioned those four names uh, that really dropped off. Rosario's was not as significant. He's still a piece in the middle of the order that they could desperately use, you know, going into the 2021 season. I I like the match with Ozuna, but the reality is, you know, the Braves are still going to be trying to eye him and bring him back. I know the DH won't be back, but they can still find an opening for a guy like Ozuna. But, you know, when you look at trying to make a playoff run, the – the Twins are missing the intangibles, which are a player that can win games for you in the clutch situation. Uh, we've been hearing the name Kike Hernandez thrown around a lot. And I know Kike Hernandez was not a starter for the Los Angeles Dodgers, but he very much 
has the capabilities of being a starter, plays great defense, and more than anything else, he is that intangible of the clutch gene. He's the locker room presence as well. You wonder what it's like in the locker room for the Twins every year during the playoffs. Um, you got a lot of great talent, a lot of great hitters, but is there a player that stands out to you, Derek, that you think personality-wise is truly the leader of this team? Because – for me, I think that's a huge piece that they're truly missing, uh, and especially if they're trying to win playoff games. I, I don't know who the vocal leader is on that team. Um, I mean, I, so I don't know the team well enough that that I'd want to want to comment on that. Just because, like, I, I don't know. For all I know, like Byron Buxton is that guy. Um, maybe that is the issue, though. I I have no idea. It almost feels like to me, it's just kind of a a confluence of bad luck and I don't know, maybe a few things. Uh, that didn't go your way. A lot of them, I'm sure you can explain away just to say like a lot of those were against the Yankees, which had really good teams. But like this past year, you get swept in three games to a Houston Astros team who was 29 and 31 to that point. So I, I don't really know what the answer is, but I guess just try to keep making the playoffs and keep, keep taking cracks at it. Cause eventually it is going to end. I mean, 18 straight losses, in the regular season, if you were the worst team in the MLB, it'd be tough to do that, uh, let alone if you're a team who's good enough to make the playoffs. So I think if they do make the playoffs this year, I'll be picking them to win a playoff game, and hopefully they do. Uh, but I think the team who probably could unseat them and I think is probably the favorite in the division right now, I know certainly you think uh, this team could be the favorite in the entire American League this season. That would be the Chicago White Sox. They went 35 and 25 a season ago. Also lost in the wild card round, but their expectations were a little lower. They lost to the Oakland Athletics, and they were actually uh, up in that series early in the series. If you start with the party, a lot to like, especially when you when you gauge it on the uh, not having a ton of expectations, but they're second in runs in the American League. They're first in home runs. I mean, the hitting was just purely dynamic. You have Jose Abreu, he wins American League MVP, and he might not even be the best hitter in 2021. Like, that's what's crazy. Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, and uh, I, I guess I'll just give you a pedestal if you'd, you'd like to talk up your guy, Luis. I, I never know. Is it Luis Robert? Is it Luis Robert? I always hear it differently depending on who says it. Yeah, but either Lu way, he's Luis a phenomenal Robert. player. Okay, Luis Robert. Phenomenal player either way. Is that just the American way, way though? Right. It is the American way. We, we say it the American way. It's Luis Robert. You, you should know the name because he's going to be a future MVP one day. Uh, that's right. I'm wow. a big Luis Robert fan. I, I don't even think it's that bull of a prediction. Um, give him five years, I would expect an MVP under his hands. I, I mean, superstar, rising talent. Um, I know that his slugging percentage dropped off a little bit towards the end of last season, but we saw everything that Robert can do on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side. He's got great speed. Um, he projects to be just another Ronald Acuna Jr., to be quite honest. Uh, another very similar talent. He's coming out of Cuba. Um, kind of was under the radar a little bit when he was first signed, but quickly when he was given the platform, the opportunity in the minor leagues, he took off. On top of that, when he got called up, I think the league was definitely put on notice. Um, his defense is something to keep an eye on. Uh, it's it's definitely a stellar part of his play, but um, he's got to work on the little things uh, if they want to have a full five-tool player in him. Uh, but, yeah, huge Luis Robert, man. And you, you look at the lineup that you mentioned, too, with Jose Abreu. Uh, I mean, I, I think you're right. He's the MVP, and he may be the fifth-best hitter on this team come next year. Uh, love what Robert will offer probably at the top of that lineup along with Tim Anderson and then Eloy in the middle of that lineup as well is just going to be absolutely filthy. 
Um, and then when you look at the depth of this lineup as well with Nick Madrigal, uh, Yasmani Grandal, they did lose James McCann in the offseason. That's not a huge loss for them uh, because Grandal's their everyday guy anyways. But Madrigal will get more at-bats uh, in the nine-hole. Yolmer Sanchez, a couple of Adam additions as well. They added Adam Eaton this offseason. I really like that move. Um, so he I think can play you predicted some that one. He, he's a he's a very solid outfielder uh, defensively, but uh, let's not forget in the World Series, he also helped lead the Nats to a championship with a uh, huge home runoff, Garrett Cole. Uh, Pitching-wise, I mean, it, it wasn't as great as the offense, but it was good enough when you combine it with the offense. Lucas Giolito, uh, you talk about Lewis Robert probably being a guy who could win an MVP. Giolito looks like a guy who could win a Cy Young. And then you went out in the offseason. You got Lance Lynn via trade. Uh, you didn't give away Dane Dunning, who was kind of an underrated piece, and he was the centerpiece of that trade. But obviously an upgrade there to Lance Lynn gives you a really nice one-two for this season. I mean, you can't forget about Dallas Keuchel. He's kind of that guy who, uh, if you're playing like fantasy baseball, he's not going to be as great because his like strikeout numbers and K per nine, not great. But as far as like real baseball on the field, you want this guy on your team. He just gets guys out. It doesn't have overwhelming stuff. It's like him and Kyle Hendricks kind of live on those margins. And, I mean, there's not a ton of depth for the starting pitchers. Ronaldo Lopez kind of struggled. Dylan Seeks had uh, fine numbers. Maybe he's trending in the right direction, but he did have some underlying numbers that make you think maybe it wasn't all real. But when you add up all that with the offense and uh, the bullpen was actually pretty good for this team, it, it led to the results. As far as the bullpen – Alex Colomay, he's he's a free agent, so uh, we'll see what happens there. But he was he was really strong. And then you have a lot of like non household names on the bullpen who had really good seasons. Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, those are two names to get to know from this team. They were both in the ninety sixth percentile or better in expected ERA among some other kind of analytical categories where they were both at the top. So. Uh, really good season. Uh, do you want to go over what went wrong for the White Sox? Right. Well, and you look at the White Sox as a whole last year, and I think that a lot of people, the expectation, you kind of mentioned it, Derek, there weren't high expectations for that season. So I think that they overachieved in that aspect. They didn't walk much. They didn't steal and strike out a lot. Um or they didn't steal and they struck out a lot. Uh, the lack of stealing and high strikeout totals, they aren't out of the line the way the game is going right now, but the walking part is they need to get on base more that direction. I think Luis Roberts' numbers towards the end of the year kind of indicated that some of the younger players like Robert were a little less patient at the plate. Um, if they would have walked at an average or above average rate in the AL, they probably would wind up in first uh, in the NL and run score, uh, which is crazy. So overall, it's not really a hangover, though, because it's a young team, to be honest. And um, one thing that I will throw out there is maybe the expectation of a prospect that they were hoping would be a key attribute to that rotation may not play a role at all. And that's Michael Kopik. Um, unfortunately he sat out the entire season due to an emotional issue. <clears throat> he just struggled, uh, with personal side of things and decided to sit it out. We don't know the future, uh, of what's going to happen with him. That could play a role with that rotation. Uh, cause as you mentioned, Derek, it may not be the strongest depth of rotation per se. Uh, but overall, you know, it, it was a pretty solid year for them. Um, the real question for them though is maybe not even the players that will be on the field. Maybe the guy in the dugout leading them, which is Tony La Russa, who they hired in the offseason. He had a DUI. 
and they were very much in the know about that. What are your thoughts on that hiring and specifically what's, what's the dynamic going to be like with an older manager like Tony Larusa and a young bunch of guys where we're trying to let the kids play? If they don't get along, like how much does that alter things on the field? Because there have been some teams who have been able to overcome that. There have been some teams where it's kind of tanked them. So if they don't get along, how much does that impact the growth of young players and how good they can be? How much does it impact the win-loss stuff? Um, uh, there were a lot of players in the offseason who were saying, yep, I would never sign there now, all those things. I, I think it more so speaks to the uh, disorganization of the ownership in Chicago, specifically for the White Sox, there wasn't really a hiring process. It was just going out and he wanted to get Tony LaRusa, uh, Reinsdorf, who I'm speaking of. And he just kind of made it happen. And I, I think there were better options out there. I don't think this is going to be a good fit, but I also just kind of think the talent is going to shine so much on this team that it's not going to matter. Now, maybe it's the difference between, you know, them winning a hundred games or maybe get a wild card spot as opposed to beating the best record in the AL. But I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to think that a hall of fame manager who at least has been around baseball in the last 10 years will be just like a complete disaster. Yeah, I agree. And, and you look at the off season too. I mean, you mentioned the Adam Eaton deal. I, I kind of saw that coming with this team. They needed a guy that could play some defense and also just get on base uh, a table setter, if you will. His numbers weren't particularly great. He hit just 226 in 41 games, but his career overall is a 280 hitter. Uh, he has a 360 on base percentage. He is a 801 OPS against righties. I, I, the biggest issue with Adam Eaton, to be honest, is his health. Uh, can he stay healthy? Th there's still a lot of possibilities for them, uh, especially in that ninth inning. I think that's something to keep an eye on. The White Sox are not even close to being done this offseason, um, but I think that with Tony LaRusa. It's going to be an interesting dynamic, but he knows how to win. These players know how to play the game. It sounds cliche, but how does that not work, right? It's almost hard to see it not working, even if the pairing may not be exactly perfect. This team is still going to win the AL Central, in my opinion. Their payroll is right in the middle of the league. Uh, they're at $109.6 million, 15th in the league. They've got a lot of room still to even make that go higher. I think they nab at least one or two more key players and ultimately clinch that division. The next team up is the Cleveland Indians, uh, 35 and 25. I guess I shouldn't even say uh, the Cleveland unnamed team, the Cleveland baseball team. <laughs> Cleveland uh, baseball team. Uh, they lost in the wild card round to the New York Yankees. I mean, they were third in the MLB in defensive runs saved, so good defense. You have Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor. That helps the defense. That helps the offense. Pitching was the main thing of this team, though. Shane Bieber wins a Cy Young. Okay, and I, I get it for this stat that I'm about to say. It was only a 60-game sprint. But there's a stat called ERA+. Plus. And basically what ERA+, plus, it compares your ERA to what the average ERA of everybody in the league was that year. Um, and, and essentially, it kind of gives you an idea of how good that player is given that season, right? Because we've had so many different variables over the course of baseball. There's the steroid era. There's uh, uh, eras that favor the pitcher or whatnot. And it also factors in ballparks. So it's a good way of gauging how dominant your season was in comparison to the rest of the league. 100 of that number is an average pitcher. Bieber's ERA plus was 281. 
Wow. And according to baseball reference, that was the third best season by ERA plus in MLB history, only behind Tim Keefe in 1880, who I have no idea who that is. Uh, you don't know who big... Tim Keefe is? I was going to say, do you, are you a big Tim Keefe guy? I, was, I grew up a huge Tim Keefe guy. You know, now that you bring it up, I remember you used to wear that, that Keefe jersey all the time uh, <laughs> to school, and I never knew who it was. I was always afraid to ask. So I'm glad <laughs> now you, you understand. Now yeah. you know. Now and, you know. And the other one is uh, Pedro Martinez, who uh, had that dominant season in 2000. So phenomenal year for Bieber. And obviously when you end up number one in the league in ERA, it's not just one guy. Carl Willis, who's the pitching coach, he deserves like $10 million dollars of raises because i don't know they just whatever pitcher they throw out there turns out to be an ace like i'm sure aaron savali or zach Plezak or uh, tristan mckenzie are going to be next like carlos carrasco had a good season too you traded mike clevenger who's an all-star and you were still number one uh and the bullpen was good too i mean brad hand and james karen really good at the end of the pen oliver perez cal quantrill quality pieces in the pen and then you have emmanuel classe coming up like just seems like they're going to continue to be the best pitching team in that division, whereas the White Sox will continue to be the best hitting team. First of all, before we move on, I just want to point out that Tim Keefe in 1880, he was 23 years old. He had a .86 ERA, which is pretty unbelievable. What team uh, did he pitch for? It, you know, he was originally a New York Giant, but uh, trying to fit, that's for the Troy Trojans. Wow, I got to know that. I got to know uh, – my former Giants. Yeah, players. by the way, disappointed actually. Speaking of 1880s baseball and uh, with this Cleveland team, because they used to be the Cleveland Spiders, which I, I'd be cool with them changing Would to that. Love name. that name. Would have you seen? It. Have you seen some of the crazy names of these former players on their teams for the Cleveland Spiders? Uh, let me go over some of these: Icebox Chamberlain, <laughs> Cupid Childs. This one, this one sounds like he uh, works at like Oktoberfest in Germany. Pretzels Getzian, <laughs> um, Mortimer Hogan, Cowboy Jones. Oh, I mean, in 1880, one. he might have actually been a cowboy if his name was Cowboy Jones. That's the offseason. Madison Bumgarner, uh -huh. the old Madison Bumgarner. Seriously, Sport McAllister, which sounds like a 1920s journalist name. Hey, Sport McAllister here. He's got the big top hat on. I uh -huh. love it. I love Cinders it. O'Brien, uh, Louis Sock Alexis. Oh my God. Uh, there is Peekaboo Veach. The guy's name was Peekaboo. <laughs> and then there's Highball Wilson. I mean, just an incredible. Highball Wilson? Was Highball Wilson a yes, pitcher? I would assume so. But that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't bode well for how his career went. No, that's like Grant Ball for. He only played one game with the Spiders in 1899. So, yeah, I mean. Maybe uh, that nickname wasn't a great thing for uh, old Highball Wilson. but You know, maybe we need to bring this back because when I Googled Tim Keefe, uh, the first thing, Derek, that comes up is it says, Timothy John Keefe, nicknamed Smiling Tim or mm. Sir Timothy. Why, why can't we have Sir Ronald Acuna Jr.? I mean, like, like right. we need to have something like that again. Maybe we'll do a segment at some point where uh, I'll quiz you on some uh, – MLB player nicknames like if you go through baseball reference they do the same thing with football reference they have some just like weird nicknames that you've never heard of like the pharaoh is apparently a nickname used by Tom Brady so maybe I'll go through and uh, quiz you on some of those down the road but onto the team right now the Cleveland uh, unnamed baseball team 
beyond not having a name, what else is going wrong for, for this team? They were 13th in the AL in runs scored, and pretty much they were poor at everything besides actually getting on base by drawing walks. So maybe the Oakland A's of Moneyball would like that. They're, they kind of play the same way, too. Um, but there were too many holes in the lineup with three everyday players under the Mendoza line. Um, and, of course, you kind of look at Oscar Mercado. That was a guy that you, you would expect – to have kind of gone off. He was a key piece for them and he did absolutely nothing to kind of help out that lineup. Um, a lot of people expected a 2020 kind of season out of him, obviously an abbreviated season. Uh, you weren't going to get that, but you, you got nothing out of that guy. And so that was unfortunate. And then you look at the ownership. This is going to be the biggest thing to watch this off season. I'm honestly a little bit surprised. The move hasn't been made already. Maybe the Indians are just, or should I say the baseball team, they're still waiting, uh, but they're choosing not to pay Francisco Lindor. And so it's just a matter of time before the next good player up is up for contract. And so they're already going to lose Brad hands and you just have to wait and see what they're going to get for Lindor. But we know he's going to be traded. If they don't trade Lindor, that would be a huge mistake and shocking. I think for everybody, it's pretty much almost confirmed that he's going to be moving this off season. And so the thing to really watch is what kind of pieces can they acquire for him? Uh, but they've got other pieces in the bullpen that are going to be good. So you don't have to worry about Karen Shack. Karen Shack is some of the filthiest stuff in this entire league. I really like Cal Quantrill. Um, they acquired him from the San Diego Padres. There's just a lot of question marks, I guess, with this team and, Maybe not so much the rotation, which is shocking. I feel like every year they lose a key starter or two. Remember, this team at one point had Mike Clevenger, Trevor Bauer on this team, uh, and they still – I like what they have in the rotation. They will continue to produce. The big issue is how do they score runs and stop losing games two to nothing, two to one. That's the big issue for the Indians, and that could be detrimental to them if they don't address that. And so – I'm curious to see what they do this offseason. They already lost Carlos Santana to the Royals. Uh, Brad Hand is going to be gone. He was already waived. And uh, Cesar Hernandez, he was uh, also a free agent as well. He hasn't signed anywhere yet. This is the 26th ranked team in terms of payroll. They're at $52.2 million. And this is not one of those teams where they look at that and say, great, we have an opportunity to spend. They say, they look at that. We have $52.2 million. What can we do? For another $3 million. It's a very small market mentality here. Yeah, and that's that's really unfortunate with some of the great players they have. And uh, one of those guys who's leaving town, Carlos Santana, going to the Kansas City Royals. They went 26-34 and 34 a season ago. Uh, didn't make the playoffs, obviously. What went well for this team? They were fourth in the MLB in steals. They got 49 stolen bags in 60 games. They brought up a ton of young pitching, and they still ended up kind of above average in the American League in, in certain categories. Low-key, one of the better young guys on their team, Brad Keller, uh, he's been one of the better young pitchers in baseball. Now, uh, it doesn't seem super repeatable or that he's going to be a guy who's going to take that next step because his stuff and his strikeout numbers uh, don't necessarily imply that. But, I mean, he's got a war over eight, over two and a half seasons. Uh, that's an average of – about three or four wins that you're getting out of him above an average player per season. And then you have Brady Singer and Chris Bubich who kind of cruise through the minors, mixed results year one, more help on the way, Jackson Kowar, Asa Lacey, Daniel Lynch, and more all could be future studs. Maybe some of them end up going to the bullpen, which was good last year, 3.84 ERA for the Royals bullpen. And that even comes after they traded away Trevor Rosenthal. Josh Stalmont looks like the closer of the future. Absolutely nasty stuff. 
Check out like Pitching Ninja with Josh Stalmont because it's worth your time. 13 strikeouts per nine innings. Greg Holland came back and had a nice bounce back year. They, they've century signed him, so that helps the bullpen. And then one of the better uh, maybe untalked about rebound stories was Kyle Zimmer, a guy who was a first-round pick for the Royals, has had countless surgeries and season-ending injuries in his time trying to come up, was originally a starting pitcher, had to move to the bullpen because of the injury issues, finally kind of came up last year, got injured again. This year, he comes around a 1.57 ERA. Uh, Really cool story there for Kyle Zimmer. You know, whenever you lead the league in steals, the odds are because of this day and age where nobody's stealing, you might also be leading the league in caught stealing. And so unfortunately for the Royals, that was one of the negatives of their 2019 or 2020 season, I should say. Um, Nicky Lopez was definitely not the part of the lineup that you would be scared if you're a pitcher to face. Um, but he's kind of a symbol of what the Royals have right now in place, just with their overall pieces in general. And uh, Adalberto Mondesi is the guy that I'm very curious to watch because we we kind of don't know who he is. What is his identity? Is he a guy that can actually hit a ball and, you know, get more than acquiring a single base? Uh, we thought he had some power, some raw power, to say the least, when he first came up. Um, his slugging was through the roof. He was stealing bases left and right. He stole a lot of bases towards the end of the season, which is a big reason why the Royals stolen bags numbers are up. But – I think it's hard to figure out exactly what modesty is going to offer in the near future. Um, And so that's going to be tough for the Royals to kind of have to assess what kind of player is this? Where does he slot in our lineup? And, you know, is he a guy that can help lead us or not? Yep. And so they've actually been active in the off season to maybe help fill some of those holes. Uh, Mike Miner for the pitching staff, two year deal, $18 million plus a club option. Michael A. Taylor, that doesn't necessarily fill the hitting role, but it helps defensively. There's a big park and outfield in Kauffman Stadium. And then Carlos Santana, uh, the Royals struggled to kind of walk this past season. So why not get the guy who has done it at pretty much a higher rate than, I don't know, everybody essentially. He's the king the of years. So uh, he had a rough year, but if he does continue to walk that way and maybe gets the hitting numbers up, then it'll be a great signing for the team. The last team, this one will be kind of quick because, uh, you know, there's not a ton to talk about for 2021 (laughs) quite yet. There wasn't too much to talk about from last year either. The Detroit Tigers, 23 and 35. They didn't reach the full 60 games. Uh, They're at a point where, you know, any player breaking out is a good sign. And I think they kind of got that with Jamer Candelario. He hit nearly 300. Jacoby Jones started the season really hot. I I thought it was also really nice to see Miguel Cabrera have a solid season again. It wasn't vintage Miguel Cabrera, but it was a solid year for him. I I think just the biggest party overall, though, for this team, it's not necessarily anything I could say about 2020 or even 2021. It's just what you have coming up in the future, especially with the pitching prospects. And then add on Spencer Torkelson, the number one pick in the draft. This stuff may not matter till 2022 with the earliest, maybe 2023, 2024. And I know that that sounds bleak and that's a ways away. I think they're doing it the right way. It's just going to kind of take some time. You look at their minor league system. I mean, they've got a bunch of huge names from the past few years of struggling. Uh, on, on top of Torkelson, of course, you got Riley Green in the outfield. And um, he his ETA as of right now is projected to be 2022. But expect pretty big things out of him. 
I'm looking for Isaac Paredes too. I think that he could possibly have a pretty significant influence on this team. Uh, there, there are little guys that are coming up in big ways, and I think for the most part, that's the pitching side of things. Um, and uh, looking at the rotation is something that we'll address here in a sec. But for the hangover, they just did not hit well. They were 12th in the American League in runs. Um, they were also last in the AL and ERA. Uh, it was nice to see Mize and Scooble come up, but they struggled immensely, mostly Mize early on in that. Uh, even the returning guys had a rough go of it. Spencer Turnbull had an ERA under four, though, so that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, I think that the Tigers may have him as their opening day starter. Uh, their other five starters had an ERA over five, and uh, Matt Boyd was pretty much the biggest problem of that situation. Derek, when you look at you know, the Tigers as a whole, what are we going to expect from Boyd? Uh, home run or strikeout, seemingly every pitch. <laughs> like, it was one of the two this past season, or walk. It was one of those three things, like, every time. And you could say, oh, the strikeout numbers, that's a good sign of things to come. He's getting guys to swing and miss, which is one of the hardest things to do. Or you could say, yeah, but when guys are hitting the baseball, they are hitting it to the moon. I don't know. I, I could be convinced that he is – almost in a situation where if he goes to another team, somebody could figure him out and he could become like an all-star. But I'm also in a situation where like, are you just going to turn into like Matt Moore 2.0? Uh, but here's the thing to look forward to in the future. Okay. Listen to this. Ready? Scooble, Mize, Fulmer, Turnbull, Manning, Baedo. You probably won't see Fulmer in that mix long-term, but out of those six names, uh, five of those have projected – to be some of the top prospects, top pitching prospects in all of baseball. Having Scooble and Mize come up, get a little bit of experience, that was great. I think you're going to see the same with Manning. It's going to be a learning year for them in 2021 because we know they're not going to be going out there trying to compete and trying to win that division. I think Fiedo is the one that's going to be the most interesting to me. A starting pitcher that came out of the University of Florida. Uh, he was a highly touted prospect, quite I guess you could say maybe a little bit under the radar lately. Um, he's not in that top 100 prospect pool like what you would have kind of hoped for. Uh, we don't really know what his development has looked like. But when he was at Florida, Derek, I mean, he looked as good as any pitcher out there. So it's going to be interesting to watch how they come up. Uh, Matt Manning is obviously the name to watch, though, in terms of guys that are going to be coming up from the minor leagues. All right, that is our uh, AL Central recap and review. Let's get on to some cold hard news and then we'll close out the show here. Uh, Corey Kluber can have a showcase on January 13th. Red Sox, maybe a team that makes sense, interested. That'd be quite the boom bust potential with Chris Sale and Corey Kluber. And then the other story, Jorge Castillo saying that Justin Turner is looking for a four-year deal. Thoughts on those two? Corey Kluber is still somebody I would buy on. I mean, he's a winner. He's proven it in the past. Yeah, health is obviously going to be a concern, but – you know, that's why he has these auditions. And so if the Red Sox are going to go sign him, I think that's a great idea on their part. I think, Derek, you mentioned in our most recent podcast that that's kind of a sneaky team for a wild card spot. Uh, I know that they haven't been playing great baseball lately, but imagine if Corey Kluber gives three-fourths of the, you know, the talent that he's shown in the past. He gives you uh, 170 innings of 380 baseball. That's something that you'd want. And I think that's pretty reasonable to ask for from Kluber. Um and if the Red Sox don't compete, but Kluber has a decent year, it's a player you could trade and acquire prospects for. So I like the move. If the Red Sox go for him, it makes sense. As for Justin Turner, you know, he's 36 years old. Asking for a four-year deal, you're basically asking for the rest of his lifetime in baseball. 
uh, to be serviced for your organization. I don't know if the Dodgers are going to give that to him. I think that the Dodgers are going to turn their heads and say, well, if we're not going to be able to sign you for four years, we'll sign DJ LeMahieu for four or five. Uh, and that's, as of right now, kind of what it's looking like. Uh, is DJ LeMahieu more likely going to L.A.? You wonder if Justin Turner goes to Toronto. I see that as a fit. Could he go back to a place like New York? I don't know if that's going to be the case, but New York Mets could make a little bit of sense. Ultimately, though, I think Justin Turner is not going to get a four-year deal. Um, and I do kind of see Justin Turner leaving L.A. Yasiel Puig with some varying levels of interest. Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, Orioles, all teams with DHs. And then you have the Marlins just kind of randomly, but not totally random. Um, there's always that kind of built-in Cuban market for Miami and Puig, obviously, from Cuba. And then Liam Hendricks, the other player, uh, maybe some interest from the Blue Jays, Dodgers, White Sox, and Mets. Seems like those are the teams that the most chatter is coming from as far as Hendricks. Maybe his uh, market's starting to heat up a little bit here as we turn to the new year. Thoughts on both those players? Yeah, first of all, Yasiel Puig hasn't played since 2019. He's rested. Um, still got a great arm. He's got a bat that can help you in the 7-8 hole. He can add a bit of energy to your team. I could see him being a great fit for the Marlins. You kind of mentioned that Cuban influence. It, it makes too much sense almost. Uh, I think people forget that he signed with the Atlanta Braves, uh, and then he got COVID-19, and that ruined everything. As for Liam Hendricks, I've been waiting for this comment all day, and Derek doesn't even – no, it's coming yet, but talking about something he doesn't want to talk about, which is Liam Hendricks is the equivalent of Matt James from The Bachelor because Matt James had the most people applying in Bachelor history to go on his show. I think Liam Hendricks is the most desirable and most coveted player right now on the market. People can argue Trevor Bauer. Sure, it makes sense. You always could use pitching. But the back end of your bullpen, and specifically the closer role, has shown to be so volatile recently that a guy like Hendricks is the key between winning and losing. And for a team like the Los Angeles Dodgers, for a team like the Toronto Blue Jays, the Chicago White Sox, or the New York Mets, well, any of those teams should be throwing their money out at him right now and saying, please, let me do anything I can do to get you on my side. And so these girls on The Bachelor, they've done everything. I mean, if you saw the intro to that show, it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, you saw girls shoving meatballs in Matt James' face. If the Dodgers had to shove meatballs in Liam Hendricks' face, so be it. Bring him aboard the organization. That's all you can do because Liam Hendricks is the Matt James of Major League Baseball. I hope if they do sign him, they give him a rose. They give him a final rose. And I would love that. that. I'm actually pretty sure way. my wife in the other room is, is watching uh, the recording of The Bachelor. She got off work late. So I'm uh, pretty sure that's how she's spending her time while I am doing this. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you got that in there. I know we have at least one listener who said they are not going to listen to any more podcasts if you mention The Bachelor again. It's a way to go. I'm trying to lose as many listeners as possible <laughs> at this time. So sorry to that one listener that doesn't have a sense of humor and can't enjoy the little things in life, like, like accepting a rose. Last part of the news, the MLB season expected to start on time. That's really good news. And then Tomoyuki Sugano, a guy we've talked about a little bit, his final posting date, January 7th. So uh, just in a couple days here. There were some reports today about that the Blue Jays and Giants could be the top two uh of the suitor list. The Mets were thought to be somebody who they could go for, but maybe now they're on the outside looking in of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the MLB season starting on time? And uh, who do you think ends up winning the Sugano sweepstakes? 
Well, it's definitely reassuring that the MLB is trying to get things on time here. I, I think uh, there's still a lot to figure out here. I'm not a big fan of the fact that the MLB informed teams saying there's probably not going to be a DH in 2021 because to me, that just leads to the opportunity of them saying, actually, we're going to have a DH. <laughs> so to me, I think the MLB's got a couple of things to figure out here before they decide, you know what, we're going to start the season on time. I think this COVID testing is going to be important. I'll- the vaccine is coming out. Uh, the influence of the vaccine is going to be a significant situation in all this. Do all the players get vaccinated? Is it a requirement for them? What if we have an anti-vaxxer in the MLB? I mean, it's going to be a lot to monitor here. And so uh, the MLB has got a lot on their plate right now to figure out if the season can actually start on time. I was not against the idea of them pushing it back to say starting in May, but you also don't want to lose your audience. Um, there's been reports out there that baseball fans kind of just didn't tune into the 2020 season because it didn't feel like it was real to them because it wasn't a 162 game season. And so you want it to be on time. You want October to hit and there to be playoff baseball. So yeah, there's a little bit of room to kind of figure some situations out here for the MLB. They got a little bit of time, but they got to act pretty quickly. I would say by the start of February, you got to have a pretty good idea uh, if the season's going to start on time. So good news but I'm not convinced by it yet. And then as for Tomiyuki, I I just, you know, we don't know enough about him um, to understand what his needs or wants are. Uh, You know, when I looked at him originally, I thought he would be a great fit for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, They just have this trend of kind of signing international players. And obviously Ichiro kind of paid the path for that. So I'm curious to see if that team kind of steps up. The Mariners to me are still a team that, I really like, I think they've got a lot of promise moving forward. He's not one of the younger players out there. I believe he's only 30. I think he's 31 years old, uh, if that's correct. And so it it may not be the right signing for them, but I think he's going to end up finding a job in major league baseball. And if teams are showing interest right now, he's got another couple days to work with here. I think it gets done. All right. That's going to do it for today's show of booze and baseball. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review helps us out. Spread the word if you could. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Audible. You can also follow us on social media at Booze in Baseball. That's with an N in the middle. Or you can reach out to us via email if you have any questions you want to submit for a mailbag or if you have anything you'd like us to review uh, beer-wise, wine-wise, cocktail-wise, whatever. Boozeandbaseball at gmail.com. Thank you to Mixkit for the stock music. Also, shout out Man Cave Merch with the wonderful uh, coasters that we use every show for whatever we're drinking on. They got the awesome baseball cards in it, so check out Man Cave Merch. Drink responsibly. Have a good one. Use Man Cave Merch for your coasters. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Have a good one, and uh, happy 2021.